guest today is Corey Silverberg, a sex educator, author, and one of those people you definitely want to have at your next dinner party. Talking to Corey is like talking to an open-hearted, curious friend. Corey is the author of four excellent books about sex, gender, and identity. This conversation was so helpful in understanding why it can be so hard to talk to kids about sex and gender and what we can do to change that. Corey, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, I'm a huge fan of, I've got one book on our coffee table, which my kids are constantly flicking through. I just think you're a genius in this space and I know that uh, we're very lucky to have you. So welcome to the Lunch Lady podcast. Thanks for thanks for having me. Happy to be here. <laughs> okay, so first of all, let's just get started. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do. Uh, <laughs> I never know how to answer that question. Well, so I'm a sex educator and an author, um, and I often describe it in that order. So for me, the reason I write is because I have something to communicate, education to communicate. So I don't think of myself as I never even used to call myself an author. I just call myself a writer. Um, but now I kind of accept that, like. There, I am in my writing and there's something personal to it. Um, but my training is, you know, in counseling psychology and and I've been a sex educator for more than 20 years. A lot of it is in, a lot of my work has been in disability community, but for the past 10 years or so, I've been working on this series of books. So I started with this book called What Makes a Baby, which was really addressing a need that we didn't have any books about where babies come from that kind of works for the rest of us, right? So they all told this one story, which is like, you know, you have a dad and that's where the sperm came from and an egg, which is where, you know, a a mom and the egg came from her and they decided to have you and it was really easy and magical and it happened and everything was great. Um, And that's actually not even true for a lot. That's not true for really for any of us, including those of us that are using, making babies using our own sperm and eggs. It doesn't always go so easily. And, and, uh, you know, I, I just really felt that young people need and deserve information that's honest and direct and and in a format that they can understand in order to make decisions about their own lives, right? So even with those young books, it's like kids actually want to know the story about how they were made. Um, And what's interesting, I think generationally, I'm, I'm 52, so I'm both sort of writing for my generation and also younger generation, is that more and more parents want to share some of that story with their kids. It's not, you know, we don't tell everything, although as they get older, maybe we tell more. But it used to be, of course, that the that the message was like, don't say things, right? Including if there was fertility treatment, like a donation of sperm or egg, including adoption, it used to be like, don't tell your kids. Um, and now we know that that's not the best one. That's not the best practice. Um, so my books are kind of a way of sharing, like what I do is kind of like trying to share information, but in a way that kind of fits for every family, right? So I'm sort of, I'm less interested to get back to this thing about me being kind of an educator first. Like I'm less interested in people agreeing with me or talking to their kids the way I think they should talk to their kids. I'm much more interested in giving them the tools so that they can have those conversations in a way that fits for them because that's what's most important, right? It's not, there isn't one way to do it. Um, You know, we need to have these conversations in the context of our families and our homes and our communities. Um, I mean, it's sort of interesting to me whenever I get to talk to people. So I'm in Canada because there is a question I always have about how these books sort of translate, both they're translated into many other languages, but even um, in a country like Australia, which is obviously they're using English, but still it's not this, like none of this is the same exactly. Um, So, yeah. Well, you know what? I think 
so when I first got, uh, so our creative director, she rang me and she said, you've got to, I've just heard this podcast with Corey. He's amazing. And uh, you've got to get his book. I have it on my um, table. She's a graphic designer too. So she, you know, the illustration and just the mm-hmm. way it's presented is so beautiful. But what I loved about it, because at first I was quite confused. I was like, where's the actual, you know, where's the one story? Where's mm-hmm. the story that, you know, and it was so old. And I consider myself quite progressive, but right. I was humbled by the book. And then I saw my kids interact with it and some were like, oh, they put it down. But my youngest son, who's seven, he is the most enthralled in it, absolutely, mm-hmm. and probably the most. Uh, I've, I've got better at parenting. So as um, <laughs> as a third child, he has less shame than the other two probably because I'm getting better. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I was, I'm laughing because I, I, I was a third child, so I very much understand that, that process. This is why, same. I'm the third child too, so oh, okay. I feel yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. But um, let's talk a little bit about, um, before we dive into sort of the book and the process, um, your childhood and, and how sex and gender was talked about in your house. So I grew up, so my mom was a children's librarian and my dad had been a family doctor who became a sex therapist. So I certainly grew up in a house where sex was something that was talked about. Um, gender less so because I grew up in the 70s. So, well, and I should say, I mean, because of where I grew up, I grew up in the 70s, kind of a middle-class Jewish upbringing in, in Toronto. Um, so secular, not very religious. And so, you know, gender was talked about, but but it was, it was this time of sort of second wave feminism where the message was, what I was growing up learning was that it's okay for boys to cry and girls can be anything, right? So a girl can be president. Mm-hmm. And a boy can cry. And that was kind of it, right? That was the idea of like uh, 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 blowing up gender, which of course is not doing enough, right? It is true that boys <laughs> can cry and girls can be anything. I mean, all of girls, girls can be anything. I mean, no one can be anything, but but uh, but everyone yeah. should be able to aspire to the things they want to be. But of course, no one was no one told me that there was an option other than boy and girl, which happens to be my the option that I click, check when I check boxes. So... So in some ways, you know, I had access to sex education. So I knew about, I knew about how babies were made and I understood that my body, I understood something about body autonomy. So I understood that like, it was okay for me to feel good in my body. It was okay for me to touch my body in appropriate times and places. And I also understood that like uh, sex was something that could happen. Sex was separate from marriage and from separate from reproduction. So that was sort of progressive in the seventies. But I still didn't feel like the uh, sex education that I was getting fit for me because I didn't see me in it because, and and I mean, what's key here, and this is like the hard thing for us as parents to remember, get back into is like, even though it, li- it definitely literally showed me, right? Like there were lots of, I have a pretty normative looking body of a white person who people would call a, a man, um, but I didn't see myself in those books, right? And this is the complicated thing about, about, not just identity, because even when we're younger, that's not a, the right word for it. But like, we need to just sort of honor the fact that our kids have their own experience of the world. And it's kind of, a, it's impossible for us to know that experience because they're not, they don't have the language to articulate it. So it really, my approach is just about giving kids lots of options and information, lots of support. Obviously, we want them to know that they can always come and talk to us because we can't imagine their, I mean, there's, there's parts of their future we can't imagine. But was what sort of and what was sort of to to just wrap this part up for me the kind of tricky thing growing up was that I didn't really imagine a future for myself, right? So I never because I didn't see anyone who I thought looked like me. I was like, well, how is this going to turn out, <laughs> right? And even as a kid who was like, I was not being told like get a job and have kids and do this and that. 
it still was like where, you know, I, you know, when I would see happy adults, they weren't me. Um, and that's what's kind of dangerous, right? It was That was what sort of made my life kind of precarious is that not being able to imagine a future. So we really want to help kids know that like, there's all sorts of futures that are out there for them and for us. So how did you, how did you change that? So then obviously, and I've read a little bit obviously about, cause we've got you in the mag as well, but so you couldn't talk to your parents or you didn't have the language to mm-hmm. sort of identify that. I don't identify with any of these characters cause you didn't even think that was an option. Right. Yeah. So then what did you do? <laughs> how did you, how did you learn more about yourself? Where did you get that information from? I mean, not until I was in my late twenties, to be honest. And so, and and then it was from other people, right? So it was from que- queer community. It was from meeting people who were using different words for themselves. So, of course, I knew because of my family. I mean, I knew people who were gay and les and lesbian, and probably had met some people who identified as bisexual, but less so. Um, yeah. But uh, but learning that there were people. So learning the word queer. So first of all, learning about trans people was you know, amazing for me to understand. And and once I started to get to meet people who were trans and talking about it and had language for that, but then also queer people. So people for whom, so for me, the word queer, I use the word queer because what it really describes is an orientation to, to normal, right? Which is that I can't, I can't, I can't fit into what is normal and what is normal is different everywhere. And normal is kind of a, it's like a, it's not just a thing or a destination. It's kind of a pressure that is worked on us, but it just doesn't work for me. It makes me not want to be around. So meeting people who were like that, who were, I mean, really just being who they were. And so I should say, actually, the first, you know, it was sort of queer people, but also I think when I say that people assume I'm talking about kind of something to do with sexual orientation or gender, it was actually becoming part of disability community that changed things for me. So my first mentor was this woman named Linda Crabtree, who is disabled and a disability activist. And I I don't know what the language is in Australia, but I'll just share. So sort of in my community, we often use the word disabled first. So we say, you know, being a disabled person is is a point of pride. It's not a bad thing, right? In other places, they use sort of um, people, person first language. So they say people with disabilities, but the language I'm using is the one that comes from my community. Um, I also use the word disabled to describe myself now. But anyway, Linda was this person who, I guess it was in my 20s. And she was made, she was actually, she was making a magazine about sex. Um, and this would have been, I don't, well, so I guess it was my 20s, so like early 90s. And she was amazing. And she was just herself. The thing is, she was just, she was like loud. And she had been, she, you know, she had been fighting for her rights um, for so many years that she just, uh, she was just this amazing person. And so to meet people and to get to be really in relation with people who are being themselves and who are fabulous uh, it makes you feel like, oh, maybe I, maybe I could do that, right? And what was so, and and it was, you know, I think it's an interesting thing about representation too, because of course, uh, Linda and I don't share a lot of other identities, but she was so important to me. And to be clear, a big part of that was because she just became my friend, right? That she was just like, you can work with me, and we can build a relationship. So it was through that, you know, and then, you know, and at the, t- at the time, this is all pre-internet. So it was that, it was like looking for magazines and books and stuff like that, documentaries sometimes. And, you know, I slowly just sort of started putting together that I could be, that maybe there's, maybe there's parts of me that just can just emerge that, that aren't, you don't have to see yourself somewhere else. Who you are is unique. And that could just be okay, yeah. which is just not a thing. I mean, I think it's a thing a lot of us tell, like well-meaning parents tell our kids all the time, but it's they don't see it anywhere in the world, right? So I don't know 
Yeah. Like that message I said earlier, like, well, you can be anything. It's like, well, you actually can't be anything, right? Very early on yeah. with, my with, my, with my child, I was very clear, like, you can't be an Olympic athlete because I'm never getting up at five in the morning. So like, that's not going to work for you. And I'm sorry, but I'll support you in lots of other things, <laughs> including lots of sports <laughs> if you want. Um, so, you know, we don't, we aren't, we aren't told enough that like, that we are, that we're you know, basically that we're worthy, right? That, that we are whole and worthy as we are. And yeah. that's something that I learned in disability community. It's a big part of this sort of both movement and practice called disability justice, that we are, that we are whole, right? That we are not broken. Um, and that's just not a thing that we get told a lot. So I, um, I want to know, like, what are the conversations like with your dad now? Because he obviously <laughs> was a sex educator, you know, in the 70s and, and you've, I mean, you've done a couple of decades now and so much has changed. And mm -hmm. so is he open to your way of seeing things? Like how does those conversations go? Um, it's nice that you're asking. No one's asked, no one's asked me that. Um, I mean, he, you know, because he, his orientation is sort of quite open. So, um, so he is very open and he's very clear about like not understanding certain things. Right. So I'm sure, I mean, he certainly wouldn't mind that I share. Like when we had a conversation about gender and my gender, he was like, okay, that's great. Do I still, like, are you still my son? And I was like, I mean, my, my personal answer was like, yes, if that, you know, if that, like, that's fine. I'm fine with you using that word for me. Um, and he was really just talking about the, the word. So because he's someone who, I mean, he's like interested in people and, and relationships, it's sort of been fine. Like he's not, he's not like a didactic, uh, I don't know if that's didactic is the wrong word. He's not so much about theory. He's about what do people need? I mean, the message always was like, what do you need to be yourself and be happy? So it's nice. And, and it is certainly funny because, you know, because there's some stuff that he isn't going to get. And that's also fine. Like we're, we're very, you know, we had, you know, uh, had lots of years of not a great relationship. We have a very good relationship now. And I enjoy it because, you know, it's like interacting with other elders. Uh, I don't know that he would like me using that word, but um, we're in like, I don't, I don't need him to use my language. And this is for me. Other people are different, right? Other people really, really feel like they need that. But I'm okay with him using. I'm okay with him using the language he used that fits for him, as long as it feels respectful to me, which it does. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, I think that you know the gift that I didn't get, I didn't understand until I was an adult, is that I really can talk to him about anything, right? So yeah, when you're a kid, yeah. I think I'm, I think it's quite um, natural to not understand the gift you get gifts you get from your parents because because yeah, it doesn't totally. feel like it. it feels like mostly you're getting rules and uh and requirements yeah, but, boundaries and, yeah, yeah yeah okay um that's just i just love that i just think that you you two should you should record some of those conversations because <laughs> what a what a treat um so let's dive straight into the books and mm. i suppose what is your definition of sex so the thing, I, the first thing I always say to people is that sex is a word, right? And in fact, the second book, title of our second book is Sex is a Funny Word. And I think it's important because, because we talk about the way we teach kids about sex is as if it's this objective thing that exists in the world in kind of in nature, right? And it doesn't, that word doesn't, like reproduction does, um, uh, other things do, but sex is a word and it's a word with many meanings, so when I'm talking to younger kids, you know, I mean, the way that I, you know, suggest talking to young people and the way I work as an educator is always sort of starting with a little and then checking in and seeing like, is that enough information? Is it more? Is it too, is, you know, do you have other questions? So my kind of basic definition of sex is that it's a word with many meanings. Most of the time when we're talking about sex, we're talking about one of three things. 
So we use that word to describe bodies. Mostly we use words like male and female. That's called your sex. Um, and of course, we know that there's more than those two options. We use that word to talk about something that grownups do to feel good, right? They feel good on their own, to feel good with each other, to, to share those feelings. Um, and we call that having sex. Um, and then sex is also this thing that it's, it's one way people can make babies, right? And I'm very particular to say to people, it's one way you can make babies because that's true, right? Again, the, when you look at the books about where babies come from, there's not, there's, it's, you know, it's, it's still the idea that the only way to have sex is intercourse. It's just not factually accurate. And I don't see why no. we should be telling people otherwise. So, so that's sort of my big, my sort of very basic definition. And so how do we, you know, a lot of us grew up, I suppose, well, in my experience, you know, born in 79. So in my 40s, parents are so great, but not, I don't think I ever really had a sex conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I remember a distinct memory of um, playing doctors as a kid and then feeling a lot of shame after mm -hmm. that, like so much shame. I got in trouble or we all got in trouble. And I still have that distinct memory. But, you know, approaching that with my kids, I mean, what is the, I know there's not one right thing to say, but if you are in that situation, just being practical for a second, how do you approach that when you do carry shame and awkwardness around this subject? I mean, I think the first thing that we have to do is talk about it amongst ourselves, the adults, right? Because because shame is, because we all have shame, right? Everyone, I mean, I have, a lot, I have lots of experience of shame. We hold it in our bodies and it comes out in sideways, you know, in all these different ways, when, in ways we don't want with our kids. And the way to kind of be more intentional about that is to have talked about it, right? To have shared those stories. And we don't, you know, the truth is we don't get a lot of opportunity to do that, right? Like we're too busy trying to get through school or figuring what to eat or figuring out how to survive a pandemic, right? So, I mean, sex okay. and bodies are often, you know, they're on, they're on the kind of low end of what's important. And so I... Um, so I think the first thing is like to know that like we can't do it without sort of taking care of ourselves, right? There's that whole um, you put your oxygen mask on first before you put someone else's mask on. That's true when yeah. it comes to like our feelings about sex. And I think that like one of my big tips in all of this is making sure our kids know that we absolutely have issues ourselves, right? Because so, so in this case, saying you know if, if that if, if that were to happen, so I was to sort of discover that my kid was playing doctor. I mean, I think the, you know we also really want to be careful about the way that we. The way, the way we use language and in indirect ways, because when you shared that story, it, you know, it would be good. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to share this, but like, you know, what exactly was happening? What was the playing doctor? Yeah. What was the thing that you were told was bad? Right. And because yeah. that makes all the, that makes a huge difference. Um, for me, so for me, part of the tip, part of the tip is like to start with like, a, I have a lot of feelings about this and a lot of them have to do with the way that I grew up. Right. Just as, and you're not yes. going to go into details, but to plant the seed for our kids that we too are humans that are working through this stuff because that's modeling, right? Because what we want our kids to know is that it's actually okay to be confused. It's okay to have lots of different feelings, excitement, fear, you know, interest, curiosity, that that is okay, that they are okay, whether or not the behavior that they're engaging in is something that we're going to support, right? So, and that, you know, to be very clear, like I'm not a, I'm not an advocate of like, everything's okay. Everything's good. I don't think everything's good. Um, I would be concerned about, like, I think we're, we all are concerned. You know, our kids are out there in the world. They None of them are getting enough education around consent or body autonomy. So even a well-meaning other child might absolutely cross my child's boundary. So so I would start with that thing of like, oh, I have, I'm having a lot of feelings. I mean, I guess the next thing is, you know, is really to 
to start with curiosity, right? Which means which means to start by asking questions, not to start with like, I'm really unhappy that you did that, or I'm really scared for you, or you know, not to start with our all of our stuff. But I'm curious about was it like what were you doing, or what was it fun, or why, you know? And as much as possible, the thing is, you really want to actually be curious. So if you you know, when we ask a question that's actually guided, like why were you doing? You know, the difference between like why were you doing that. And, oh, so why are we doing that, right? Or, you know, or, you know, was that something you've done before? Kids are very in tuned with that. So they, you know, so we want to be, the, the best place to be, honestly, is curiosity because then we're on the same team, right? It's not us about to lay down the law and tell them why what they did was wrong. So that's the sort of the start. I think that then, and then every family gets to make up, and, and this is the parent's role, is to make up the rules about boundaries, right? And so I'm also not against someone saying like, in our family, you know, whatever, in our family, touching bodies is actually just for us inside the family. And of course, if we have to go to a doctor, you know, until you're older, or maybe some family is going to say until you're 16, whatever it is. I also think that's totally appropriate. I think we need to say it. And we need to name it, right? So again, in this case, it might be like, I'll just give you my example. I'm not suggesting someone would yeah. say this. I might say like, touching is actually lots of fun. You know, and at home, we tickle all the time. Now, as you start doing that with friends, it's a different thing. Um, and and it can be really fun. And whatever the boundary, whatever the rule is in our house. Um, you know, because we do, I mean, this is, I mean, this is, a, again, a personal thing choice but if you want to raise if you want to try to raise a child with the idea that they are one day going to become possibly a sexual adult and you want them to enjoy that aspect of their life then you can plant seeds yeah. by just pointing out that having a body is great and it can feel really good and again with an older child if it's a house where masturbation is seen as an, an okay and healthy choice then you can talk about that that actually there's a time and a place where it's great for you to explore your body right and maybe that's the bathtub maybe that's your bedroom but so giving them not just the other thing is it's always important. You don't want to just give a no, right? Don't do this. Yeah. Um, because that, yeah. you know, because the other thing is that shuts the conversation down. Because again, what we want to know, and this is a safety piece too, right? You want to hear from your kid, is this something they chose to do? Is it something they felt pressured to do, right? And when we have that big reaction, which is totally natural and understandable, but if we have a like, <laughs> oh my God, depending on what we may have walked in on, um, what it does is it, it tells them I should not be talking to my, to my parent about this. Yeah. And so we, we, we don't get those questions and those questions are so important. Yeah. That's such a great answer. It's funny. I had a, I have an example from just yesterday where okay. my youngest told me that, um, he talks a lot more about sex or asks me more questions than the other two. Cause mm -hmm. yeah, as I said, I think I'm just getting a little bit more right. But um, he did say, he said, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so jumped in the bush today and kissed, and he's very young. And I have this <laughs> inclination to try and act too cool because I'm, okay. I'm trying to be like, I'm uh -huh. trying to go opposite what happened to me, but then it just sort of, I get in this awkward kind of, non-parent zone where I'm sort of going oh I actually tried to just say oh how did that feel for you I did say that and I thought Great. I think that's right I think that's correct yeah I think I've read Corey and I'm thinking yeah so and he just sort of went really shy and said mm -hmm. oh and then it kind of ended but I just thought oh well at least he I just didn't really know like is that appropriate what do you do like they're young but 
I was kissing in primary school. Like I, I just get so confused. Yes. And also, and also we don't know how, what kind of reporting that was. Right. So like, so just going to a bush and like actually kiss it. And and was it a peck on the cheek or was it there? Some kids are open mouth kissing. I mean, there's so many other questions, but with a young child, I wouldn't, I would do exactly what you did, which is like, Oh, how did that feel for you? Because what you've done there is first of all, you didn't totally freak out. But again, I mean, I actually, yeah. also you want to be yourself. Like the the two cool thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess you see things. Yeah, we don't know each other well, but you seem like someone who might be quite cool. I'm not cool at all, so it's easier for me because I, I that is not that is not an identity I can even fake. So with my kids, <laughs> I'm never the cool one. And of course, they complain about that, right? They don't like that I ask so many questions. And our kids will always yeah. they'll push back whoever however we are. But I think that yeah. for me, the other thing about how I think about sexuality that's different than a lot of educators is that. To me, it's always primarily relational. So it's about relationships. I'm not primarily interested in the biomechanics um, of intercourse or STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, or pregnancy. You know, like that's I I know about those things, but but I actually think that our our the human experience of sex is primarily a relational one. So what you did is you said to your him, it's your son, is that right? Yeah. 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 That you, you, by saying, you know, you said you're, you're pointing out, he actually has a relationship to what happened, which is his feelings to it. Right. Which I think yes. is also in, important because this is this other thing that ha- starts to happen with kids, of course, is that sex becomes this thing that makes you older. And my experience with young people is that they actually don't like that. Right. My experience with, uh, you know, preteens. Well, I sort of, uh, yeah, like, uh, like kind of like the kind of eight to 10, eight to 11 year olds is they're actually often very verbal about like, I don't know why I'm supposed to grow up so quickly. And then they just get worked on and worked on and worked on by the media. And then by the time they're tweens, they're like, okay, I want to be a teenager. So part of the message for me always is, is like, sex is not, I mean, the other thing that I do that I think sometimes people confuse because of ideas of sex positivity is I don't say sex is great, but I never say sex is great. Sex is a part of life. And also, I'm always really clear, because we should know this, that there are people for whom sex, they're not interested in sex, right? And so they identify themselves as asexuals, and it's a perfectly fine and happy and healthy and, you know, you can have a full life and not have sex be part of it. Um, so, so, but kids don't see that, right? All they see is the yeah. kissing and the Disney, like, you know, it's just, it's so, and, and as you know, it just starts, it's so wild to watch it from the very early ages, these movies where the goal is a kiss at the end. It's like, why are we doing yeah. this? Because kids aren't interested, right? So for me, I mean, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in rooms a lot, like classrooms with like, you know, um, elementary school, so eight, so, uh, eight to 10-year-olds right now. And they are talking about crushes, but, the, but none of them know what they are, right? It's so different than with middle school um, and then with high school. And the language, you know, all this stuff is just filtering down in a way that, I mean, I, I mean, the truth is, I wish it wasn't right. In the same way that, like, I wish that there, I wish that like young people did not have the access to pornography that they do. I actually think it would be better if we didn't have the stuff, but we do. It's in the world, so as parents, we have to kind of address it. I think that's so interesting what you said about relations and their feelings, because um, another thing my son said to use a sort of real life example was he feels weird when people are holding hands. I just feel weird. I just, I don't know, you know, and I just think it's such a, it's such a, I just feel like a newborn in so many ways, because obviously I've never had these conversations with my parents. And Mm -hmm. then 
you're so trying to make things right. Like, oh, oh no, it's not weird or it is weird or, but it's just is what it is. It's like what you said, it's the feeling in the air and it's just kind of being curious about that. I really love that. I think we don't, I don't have the answer for you. That must feel weird for you. Okay. Like it's such an interesting, yeah, it's such an interesting space when you, when you say be, just be curious instead of trying to solve it or. Yeah. So I have a friend and colleague whose name is Bianca Loriano and she is a child child free by choice, but someone who's a very important trusted adult in many kids' lives, including my own, my own child's life. Um, and she's so amazing. And because she's not a parent, the way that she can have these conversations is so different and so powerful. And I know what she would, and she's so good at asking questions and see in that case, I, you know, she would, she would, she would start being curious with your son about like, yeah, it's kind of funny people like holding hands because sometimes your hands get clammy and sometimes someone squeezes too tight, but also sometimes it can be nice. Like, like you can also unpack it a little, little bit and make sure that he knows that, 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 that his response is, is, is fine. And that there's this yeah. range because again, what do they, what do we see? We see the idea that no, holding hands would be good or kissing would be good. Um, that this is the way, this is the way that adult, that, that relationships are supposed to progress. So yeah. So she's, yeah. And, she, and, and one of her favorite questions is like, how did that feel? Um, because, yeah. um, because it's really, it's very generative, I would say. It is. And I think this sort of leads into how you cover a lot about power and boundaries. And I suppose would you say having this curiosity will then allow kids to question whether or not they like that kiss or they, do you know what I mean? Do you think it sort of forms a kind of great foundation for um, understanding boundaries and power? Yes. I think it's, I think it's essential because I mean, you know, it's complicated for kids because kids do have power, but there's a very good reason for them to imagine they don't, right? Because their experience, yeah. I mean, because of this, there's this concept, I don't know if you've seen, you've probably seen this because you, you read online of adult supremacy, right? Which is yes. this ideology that we all sort of, you know, the world sort of follows, which is that adults are the right way to be, that a child's job is to grow up to be an adult like us. And of course it's not true because, because look what we've done, right? So, so, so the idea that the idea that we have, we hold all the wisdom and all the smarts is obviously not accurate, but part of adult supremacy is that we make the rules. And so kids don't have a lot of rights, but they do still have power inside of them. And we don't do enough to um, identify that, help them identify that, help them identify how it feels to have power, right? So a perfect example of power is setting a boundary is saying no, Right or or yes, because a boundary can also be yes. Yes, I do want to hold your hand, or no, I don't. That is us using our power. We don't talk about that enough, but we can't use that unless we're in unless we know how we feel. Right. So the curiosity yeah. is essential. It's essential for body autonomy. It's essential for for consent. Right. Again, which is, so the way consent is taught often is so it's a bit not helpful because it's sort of taught as the scientific thing, um, whereas consent human consent is consent between at least two people. And so it's not science because you have two moving people with histories and feelings. Um, and if one of those people hasn't really thought about uh, what they actually want with it, with their body or how they want to be touched, as many people of mine, your generation, we were not raised to consider that, you know, how do I want to be touched? No, no, no. You, you go, you, like, if you're raised in a permissive household, then you're just like, okay, when you're an adult, you get to have sex and that's what you do. But to your point, yes, curiosity, I think is essential, both for as like as an educator, but also as a sort of form of self, to, of you know, learning about yourself. Yeah, no, I love that. I want to talk a little bit more about 
sort of the new ways to identify gender and sex and how a lot of us probably quite afraid of st- of stuffing up I suppose you know like um you know I heard before that your son identifies as they and you mm-hmm. it just rolls off your tongue it's so beautiful because there's no slip ups you're using the language whereas you know when I've had friends who identify like that or you know I think we're so afraid to slip up that we don't maybe perhaps sometimes we don't engage enough right. because we're like we're, we're, you know, and it's the same with the black lives matters and diversity and there's so much to it we're afraid that we're going to get in trouble or we're afraid that we're going to look ignorant and mm-hmm. i suppose what 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 could you say to that um <laughs> oh my god the very giant question um Okay, so there's a lot of things to say. I guess because you've, you know, you also added race in there, I think that I'm going to start with the fact that like white supremacy means that white people never, don't usually experience the discomfort that people of color and particularly black people do or black people do it in a a different way. And I also just want to name actually just because I'm aware of it, of course, the way that race and indigeneity shows up in Canada versus Australia versus the US, it's so different. So I just want to be mindful of, I want to just say for the record, as it were, that like, I'm not, I'm really talking about my experience of this and what I've learned, both from friends of color and black friends and indigenous people in my life. So and know that 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 is not going to be the same everywhere. Um, everywhere, yeah. So I think that the that the first, you know, I, I think that yes, that you're you're onto something because part of what part of the way we are, we move through the world, is to not be uncomfortable, right? So if the idea of pronouns makes us uncomfortable, then we might then we might actually rail against it, or at the very least, kind of be like, ah, it's something confusing. I I can't. I don't know how to talk to my kid about that because I don't understand it. As opposed to, again, starting with curiosity, which is like, if you're someone who wants to know people and wants to be in relation with lots of different kinds of people, or even just be in good relation with any people in your community, you need to learn about them, right? And we can learn about them from them. And we can also learn about them, you know, by reading, like in terms of gender, you can, you don't, you can read my book and then you learn some stuff. I think that, you know, I'm just going to, because it was such a big question, I'm going to focus in on the gender stuff, but I, it's a beautiful question. So I really thank you for it. Um, and if we had like three hours <laughs> then, and, and more people, then, then it would be very, be, I would love to be part of that conversation. For the gender stuff, I think, you know, what I've come to understand for me is that the only way I really make change in my life is actually by changing my life. So having more queer people in my life, having people who are non-binary or trans, um, that is how things change for me, right? And it's easier for me because I am queer. So of course I'm in. I've, I, so when you know when you're if if you identify as straight, I mean I also want to say these things about these words. Identity labels are useful yeah. when they're useful, and they're also not when they're not, right? So for me, when I talk about people who are straight, I don't mean a man who only is attracted to and has sex with a woman. There's lots of people, men, like male female couples, that I would identify as queer because they're not because they're not following the rules they're understanding relationships and people in different ways so it's not about who we have sex with and not even necessarily about the words we use but so to to get more practical like yes there's lots to learn right like the, the thing is that what's happening in our world now is more people are saying shouldn't we be able to be ourselves and and use the words that we want to use like that's what's happening and 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 a yeah. lot of us are raising our kids that way and so surprise surprise more kids are saying yeah i want to use this word this word you know there's this whole thing about like why are there all these trans kids all of a sudden well because there's a lot of people that are saying it's okay to be trans we're not you're not going to get hit if you're trans you're not going to be sent to jail or sent to a, a hospital and so more kids are telling us who they are right that's the difference it's not it's not some influence of trans adults or other kinds of adults or psychologists. 
it's just that we are living in a world where there is more choice. And it doesn't mean, of course, there's not lots of prejudice, but there are more people saying you can be more things. And the internet is helping in that way. So, you know, my message to parents about this stuff is like, whoever your kid is going to be, your kid is going to be in the world with people who use different words for themselves, whether that's around gender or sexual orientation um, or, you know, ethnicity or religion, whatever it is. And so part of preparing our kids for the world is, is, is learning about this stuff. And whenever the stuff that I don't know about, then of course I say to my kid, I don't know about that. What do you know about that? Right. Because this is the other thing around gender stuff, your kids, I mean, you have older kids, so they will like once your kids get into middle school, they know way more than you do. And so they'll tell you, right? And and also you have to remember, I guess that's also a beautiful parenting move, right? That once you start getting to that place where you're really open to your kids teaching you something, they get to experience power and knowledge and you get to learn things. Um, and of course there's always like, like I, you know, I'm, I'm making it sound ide- idealistic because like you do that and then all of a sudden they're like, well, I know this. So why can't I have, yeah. you know, more allowance or eat whatever I want? Right. So it's always a balance because it's not about, you know, we are still parents and there's still um, there's still a power imbalance that makes sense at this point. But I do think that there's an opportunity to learn from our kids. And I guess the last thing I kind of want to end with on this is just to say that there's way more language, but humans have always been humans. Right. So there's always been. So first, when it comes to sex, we'll say this many centuries ago, more than that, probably humans figured out all the ways to have sex. There's no new ways to have sex. Young people, teenagers and people in their twenties always think they're coming up with new ways to have sex. They're coming up with new words to describe the way they have sex. (laughs) Humans figured out a long time ago. So, so it isn't new, right? And if you've survived to be an adult, then you know a lot, right? This is, so our third book is called, You Know, Sex. And part of that is about reminding all of us that we actually know a lot about sex. Maybe not the language, maybe not the terminology, but the feelings, um, why we make relationships, the things that we want, boundaries. This is the core of what sex is. When it comes to gender, it's it's the same and different, I guess. But, you know, again, like there's always been trans people. There's always been queer people. There's always been non, non-binary people. We just didn't have those words, right? And of course, in other cultures, they did have those words, right? So we, you know, when, when white people look outside of themselves, they, they learn like, oh, other places have been doing this in a different way. So our, our way of doing gender is not the best. It's not the only. It's not the worst. It's just, yeah. it's the way we do it. And so I guess uh, the thing that I often tell parents is like, I just encourage them not to be scared because I think that they actually already know a lot more than they think they do. And let me just, I want, if it's okay, I want to just say one more quick thing because I do yeah. have a lot of parents who are like gender normative who now have kids that are kind of saying like, nope, I'm not, I'm not this. You thought I was a boy, but I'm going to use this word. And they're like, I don't know how to, how am I going to help them? And it's like, you are absolutely the person to help and support them because you're their parent, right? The idea that gender... That there's, that there's some part of ourselves, that one identity or one part of ourselves is so all-encompassing that it will alienate us from the people who have been raising us. It's not the way it works, right? We get alienated from our parents for other reasons. Like it's, <laughs> that does happen, but it's not because you're a lesbian couple and you have a boy uh, child, right? So that's another classic thing. Is like sort of two gay dads will ask me stuff about raising a girl or a lesbian couple, but raising a boy. And I think like the that the goal is to help our kids become humans, right? Um, not help our you know son be the best man because eh, who knows what kind of you know maybe first of all he doesn't want to be a man or if he wants to be a man I mean who even knows what it's going to mean to be a man twenty years from now? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so 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 I appreciate the question. I know it's a lot of people's experience. I will say that 
the fear or the discomfort, it's also real because people can be rude to us, right? So the thing is, you know, I'm someone who uses, I also use they pronouns and, but I don't usually correct people that much because for me in, in most moments, it's not that important for other people. It is, but there's a way, there's always a way to do it with generosity, right? Not with, you know, I mean, not when you're, if you're interacting with someone who's actually trying to be rude and leave you out by intentionally using the wrong words for you, that's not okay. And no one needs to be nice to, the, to that response. But there are a lot of us who are honestly, as you said, making mistakes and it's true that sometimes people can be annoyed with us. And so then we can just sit with, we can remind ourselves like, oh, okay, I'm uncomfortable, which is probably how they feel all the time. And I'm going to try to do better next time. Um, and not- and just not that curiosity. Yeah, it's curious. And not think that we've like mortally wounded someone. No. And no. I think work on yourself and then it usually doesn't trigger you as bad and then you go in generous. And yeah, I totally, I totally get that. What do you want kids to know about their bodies? Oh my God. Um, all kids? Do you want to give me an age range or <laughs> just every kid? Yeah. Well, I'm only, I'm actually cheating because you said such a great quote in the interview in the magazine. Okay, tell um, me. Do you want me to read it back? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but you said something about that all bodies are good, basically, with right. your, um, yes. that's distilled. Yeah. And I just thought it was so beautiful. I actually remember, it's a quote, it's a quote, and it's not for me, it's a, it's a quote that opens, you know, sex, and it's from uh, Patty Byrne, who's a, a an artist and a disability activist, and um, she says, there's no right, or sorry, they say, there's no right or wrong way to have a body, Right. And I think that's what we want kids to know, right? That there's no right or wrong way. And when you, and when you're really, I mean, now the thing is, we all have a lot of work to get to there, right? Patty is a disability justice activist who's been working in these worlds and on their body and on relations for so long. Um, we all have a lot of work to do because if we don't really believe it, it's not as effective to say like, well, there's no right or wrong way to have a body and then say, you know, do you need to eat that other piece of cake or say yeah. whatever it is? Um, all the ways that we make uh, make ourselves and kids feel that actually their body is not right. Or even if it's not saying something negative, but it's like that we, you know, when we point out certain bodies as like athletes is great and other people is like, oh, you know, it's sad if you're, you know, spend your whole life in bed. So this, so this is the thing we want kids to know. We want kids to know there's not a right or wrong way to have a body. And that doesn't yeah. say anything about the, what to, what we do with our bodies or how we care for our bodies, but that our bodies are, again, like uh, one of the principles of disability justice is, uh, is about wholeness, right? Is that we are whole, we are, we are born whole and we remain whole and we may feel broken sometimes. And that's, a, that's, that's real, but we're not actually, we may feel that way and, and we may need to do things to make us, to make us feel whole again, but actually we have everything we need. And, and there's no right or wrong way to have a body, which means there's no wrong, right or wrong way. Like that when our body or our mind, which because we want to include our minds, people who live with a lot of depression, who feel like their, you know, that their mind does not work well, their mind is broken, they aren't able to experience joy. And of course, they want to change that. And that's different than saying they're broken and there's something wrong with them. That is the way their body is. Um, and that is the way their mind is. And we can do things as we all do, right? We we want to learn a skill and then we learn a skill or we want to have a different kind of relationship. So for me, I want kids to know that. Um, and then, you know, and then you work off that, right? Then, I'm, and then of course, I, the, I think that for me, the next big thing is kind of about boundaries, right? Is I want them to know that like bo their body autonomy ends at the end of their skin, basically, right? So, so just because there's nothing, you know, there's no wrong way to have a body, a young person might say, oh, so it's okay for me just to go and start poking you? It's like, no. No, no. It's great that you have a body that wants to poke things. 
you can go poke a pillow. You can't poke me because that's my body, <laughs> right? And so yeah. I want you to understand that 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 my body, I also have body autonomy and there's a boundary there. So that's this thing that's like, again, like, I mean, we just, you know, we don't do it in school very much or I mean, it depends on the school, but public schools, not so much, you know, uh, prioritizing uh, body autonomy or consent or boundaries. And so it's something all of our kids really need to learn, both both yeah. to protect themselves and also to protect others. Oh, we could talk for hours, but mm-hmm. I want to just end on when we first started, you told me you were writing a new book. And mm-hmm. I just thought, could we talk a little bit about that and when that's going to come out? Because I think that's going to be super helpful as well. Sure, but I have no idea when it's going to come out because I just started, as you know, yeah. I, I, just, I just went away. So I'm actually, I'm working on a book about drugs. And it's fascinating that it's so much like sex because, so it's a book about drugs for young people, because again, number one, the books that are out there, basically all they do is they tell you drugs are awful and don't do them. And what yeah. we know from generations from, you know, I actually I have to, again, I'm, I'm just doing the research. So I don't know, yeah, maybe exactly. at least a hundred years, that doesn't work. Telling people drugs are bad for you and don't do them doesn't work. In fact, everyone is doing more drugs than they ever have. Right. So all of the things that are in place in North America, the kind of war on drugs, that doesn't work. Um, And so what kids need in the same way my feeling about sex education is that they need direct and honest information. They need to know about drugs. They need to know how they work and they need to know that they have choices. Um, And so so I just I've really just started. And and it's funny, I am I'm really amazed and surprised at how much it's like the conversations about sex because we're not having like, like, you know, we're having some conversations, but not the ones we need to help our help kids make good decisions for themselves. And it is also like sex in that, of course, many of us adults do not make good decisions for ourselves. And that can range everything from like, people who are having like a few too many drinks during the week to get through the pandemic to the way that to, to people who have bad relationships with drugs, meaning they are doing drugs, and they can't stop themselves from doing them. So this is a real like, it's really for me, I'm always focused on young people. And it's going to be this real, for me, it almost feels like a bigger challenge to figure out how to write a book that's useful for adults to read with kids, when so many of us have, you know, you know, I mean, a lot, a lot of us have fine relationships to drugs, I, I you know, but then a lot of us don't. Um, so that's what I'm working on. And I don't know, I mean, I'm trying to, it took us seven years to do this last book. So I'm trying to figure out how to write books faster. <laughs> yeah. So. Wow. Well, they're so good. That's why it takes so long. It's just. It so, what would you recommend out of the three books about uh, the sex and gender and identity? And what would you recommend as a starting point? Does it start with the first one that you made? I mean, I went straight to you know sex, which right. I loved. Um, I think. Well, I think it's just it's about they're written for different age groups, right? So, what makes a baby yeah. is written for sort of four to six year olds. Uh, sex is a funny word, sort of seven to nine, and then you know sex is puberty age. Um, and yeah. in general, it's good to get a book a little bit before you need it. I have to, I'm going to share with you this one thing, cause I know you think about parenting all the time. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm going to forget their name. Um, this woman gave me this great piece of advice cause I was feeling really down about being a parent. We were having a meeting and the, the check-in that I offered was the, the prompt we were all checking in was like, say one nice thing that happened to you this week. And I said, yesterday, my kid did not say a shitty thing about me all day. <laughs> that was like, oh, no. that was like my good thing. And it honestly did feel like a, like a win. Um, and yeah. and she shared with me. She's much. She's kids in their in their twenties. And she said, "So here's the thing, you're all you know. You're going to learn what you need to learn to support your kid, just as they don't need it anymore." Yeah. <laughs> and it's so true, right? <laughs> that you figure like because because kids are always changing. You figure out, okay, I know how to be with this eight year old, 
but now they're into something different. So, so, so I, so as a resource, I recommend get, get the book. That's a little bit maybe advanced for you. You should, yeah. parents should always look through my books first um, and have them around. And yeah, yeah. That, that's the, that's the right way because, because, you know, and not because the books would be harmful if, but if you give a kid, if you give a kid that's like seven, a book about puberty, it just doesn't connect with them. You know, if they have a sibling yeah. who's going through puberty, maybe it will then. But it seems like such a form, this idea of like hair is going to grow and your voice is going to change and your feelings will change. When, they, when they're not even seeing that in their peers, it's it's just such an alien thing that I think it just, it doesn't harm them, but it just goes over their head. So it's not useful education. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Corey, that was so wonderful. You are doing such exceptional work and I'm so appreciative of discovering you and I'm so I'm so um, excited to share share you with people that don't know you. So thank you so much for your thank, generosity. Thanks for having me in the yeah. magazine and on the podcast. If you liked this conversation, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really liked it, be a legend and leave us a good review. Lunch Lady is a parenting platform where no conversation is off limits. It's for curious parents and carers keen on parenting with a side of optimism, hope and fun. For more excellent reads and good conversations, head to www.hellolunchlady.com.au.